week, Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. We're back this week with our favourite series where we take you into real people's real portfolios. Not so you can copy them, but so we can see how ordinary people make extraordinary decisions about their money. And because we all love knowing what people spend their money on. We're joined this week by the most mercurial and interesting person that I know, someone who has lived the equivalent of nine lives in his 33 years. Keon's been in the army, studied to be a pilot, and now works in aviation. Welcome to the podcast, Keon. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Tell us, what's your first investing memory? I'd have to be the old Dolomites account when I was a little boy running to the canteen at school, had my little booklet, and I'd pull it out, see how my change in coinage, and then try and think, is it worth getting a lolly from the canteen or not? That scheme worked exactly as intended, creating little Combank customers from a very young age. It was a good exposure to sort of the marketing strategies, savings tropes. Yeah. And did that stick? So like, would you say that that influenced how you think about money today? It probably worked on two fronts. So it probably worked on I can see the flaws in some schemes and like really sort of work out, is this value to me? But also sacrificing now for greater net savings later. With that kind of philosophy, what would you say is the reason you invest today? What's the point for you? To make my life easier in the long run. So pull the bell and live below my means now. Still comfortable. I'm not deprived. But really just trying to put everything away into some sort of nest egg that is feeding me and and giving me a greater means in the future. Pain for gain. Yeah. Nice. So you said feeding into you in the future is the purpose of investing for you to create a passive income? Yeah, yeah. It'd be it's that right even up to like kids and retirement and something I can pass on. Yeah, I've had a dream that one day I will have the trust fund kit because I've developed that. Obviously, I don't want the personalities that might be associated with that, but that would probably be my biggest dream in finance world. That's a really, really pure, wholesome dream, Kian, like just wanting to leave your kids wealthier than you were. So how would you say your choice of jobs or just how you've chosen to create an income has helped you try and achieve this dream of trust fund kid? To be honest, it hasn't really been a focus dream coming out of high school. I didn't really know what to do. I was really just following the heart and following probably what engaged me, the dopamine, I suppose you'd say. So that's why you have army and then into something else exciting with training to be a pilot. And now I'm a bit more growing up, becoming mature, got into the aviation and trying to funnel that finances into something more practical. Okay. So what was your first investment? Had to be a term deposit with ING. And this was back when interest rates were really high. So I think it was around 16%. That honestly was the first time that I had had my money sort of locked away. Previously, it always just be about saving. 
and the idea was saving is going to make it grow. But then I realized actually saving and my savings can both help me grow. Yeah. And that concept of like how much return is it getting, like the risk reward factor, you know, obviously cash is very liquid, but you don't get a huge return and then it all goes up in a ratio. That's so interesting. So that term deposit, how much did you invest? It was 10000 and for one year. Wow. How much did you say? 16%? 16. So 1600 yeah. Holy mackerel. I don't know that we're ever going to see interest rates like that again, but that would be amazing. So started with the Dolomites, then you moved into term deposits. There's a really nice escalating risk <laughs> risk ratio there. What are you invested in now? You said it there. It's like an escalating thing. The more exposure I got, the more I got involved. And so then I was getting into ETFs, into a little bit of crypto, just more and more stuff and more sort of just building and putting away and out of sight, out of mind, to be honest, too. So how much are you socking away, like as a percentage of your income, how much are you putting away each fortnight? That's not how I target it. Oh, okay. What's your strategy? I really just pull back to the edge of comfort. So if everyone's got like a a green zone, living the high life, a yellow zone, living within your means and a red zone, just making it. I'm just outside the yellow zone, but I feel rewarded every time I'm sitting there because I know that's doing good work. So you're happy to take the sacrifice now because the reward feels like it's at the end of the rainbow for you. Yeah. And it's kind of like sometimes people just don't want to go to the gym. Sometimes I do want to buy that avocado toast, but I know if I don't, I'm doing good for me later on. Later on. Yeah. And you are very frugal. I mean, I should tell our audience, Keon and I are actually friends and Keon is my frugal inspiration because I'm probably more intentional with my purchases, but I definitely live in that green zone. So tell the audience perhaps for a bit of flavor, what would you say of some luxuries that you think our generation takes for granted or just always indulges in that you might sacrifice because you're quite happy to make that trade-off now? for putting that money away, investing it, and then having that nest egg later? There's a lot of tropes like just don't throw away something because you don't like the look of it or, or it's starting to get worse for wear. Put some mental energy in trying to get it fixed. That's an obvious one. But even just the discipline around producing income would probably be the sense I get more reward. So if I work an hour for 25 or $30 or whatever, then I get home after a hard day of work. Nobody wants to do anything. But then I see an email about a focus group for $100 an hour and it might take me five minutes to quickly answer it. I do want to relax. I do want to chill out. But it's that discipline of like engaging in it straight away because I know the pay rate is much higher than what I get with the job I'm prioritizing during the day. So I end at my job. 30, 40, whatever an hour. And then for some reason, there's a disconnect. I think with our generation, you get home, you want to switch off. But as soon as you get home, just by happenstance, there's an opportunity to earn $100 an hour. But then you go, no, I'd rather have a nap. Focus groups is a really interesting side hustle because we're not actually talking about surveys which pay 30 cents. You're more into like the in-person or virtual focus groups for like marketing research. 
But you also have other side hustles, which are quite lucrative, which I think you should share with us. Sure. Yeah. Like I've done it all and it's a learning experience, just like with investment. You double your toes and then you get better and better and you're able to see the better reward with less risk. But then you get into focus groups and my most lucrative one is clinical trials and they're great. So I like to think of it whenever I go away, it might be a week or 10 days. And for me, it's a staycation. And for anyone like me, most of our generation, they will lock you in a clinic. You'll be monitored the whole time. There's people always around. So you can be social if you want, but otherwise you can just hide with a laptop, watch Netflix, play games. And so I'm getting a massive sort of recharge to my energy just by having a getaway. But I'm also getting paid an insane amount. So you can get anywhere a week, anywhere from 1500 to 3000 That's on average. It escalates all over the place. Melbourne's very lucky. They have a massive organization down there and their pay rates are much higher than Sydney for some reason. Do you just apply for these through these companies? Yeah. So like I said, you get better at seeing it all. So focus groups, I'm on every one of their newsletters mailing list and you just take five minutes to apply. And the thing is, sometimes you just don't want to do that. But if you can push through with a bit of discipline, you're the first one to fill it out. So you're the first one to be recruited. And all of a sudden you're getting $500 extra a week from one hour each harbor, which is much better than what I get in a day. Um, with my normal job. So that trade-off feels really worthwhile to you. Yeah. And as soon as you get that reward hormones in your head, you, you do it again and again and again, you get addicted. And all the meanwhile, I'm getting paid a lot for just telling people what I like, hopefully influencing the market. So the products are now geared towards me. And then the clinical trials, there's not like a lot of those organizations. So you just signed up to their newsletters. You've got to be healthy and fit. I'm very fortunate that I always pass all the medical tests and such. Something to explore, I think, for anyone that hasn't considered it as another source of income. Because they're obviously, by the time they get to clinical trials, because I'm sure everyone's thinking, I'm not going to sign up for medical research that's untested. But if it's recent clinical trials, it's about to go live and they're fairly sure it's safe. How do you feel about the potential risks? No, look, if you look into it a bit more, the ethics boards in Australia are, are pretty amazing compared to other countries. I think everyone's got that experience with you've seen on movies or TVs in America, their clinical trials. So I'd say that it's very different to the extent that I found out well after the clinical trial because they won't tell you at the time. But I was testing the effects or the metabolism rate of paracetamol and neurofin at the same time in the same tablet rather than two separate tablets. So you're not testing leading edge. I'll say that for sure. So you've got these side hustles, you're living in the yellow zone. I'm going to steal that for Instagram. I hope you know that's a fantastic analogy about what's your yellow zone and how can you use that to kind of funnel as much of your money towards investing as possible while still, as you say, not losing your mind in the red zone. How much have you invested? I've got my net around 90 to 100K, just, just as an off figure. I started heavily investing and sort of screwing away. I was probably at 20K. And yeah, the just saving, saving, little bit of return probably. But probably at my stage of life and even earlier, I guess you're trying to really build the finance that you have. 
Yeah. Because the first 100 is the most difficult because you're doing all the work. It's not doing any work. And you should be incredibly proud of how far you've come. So around about 100K net worth, is there a magic number for you that you're trying to get to? Not really. I think if I can keep squirreling away, once it's out of control, once it's a snowball, and I can just actually start to live in the green zone. It's hard to know that magic number because there's going to be big expenses in life, you know, starting a family and things like that. But just on the analogy that I was using, I would just relate it to gym work. So yes, I, I try and live in that yellow, but just like when you go to the gym, you exercise for five days a week and then you have a rest day. So I live in the yellow and get my finance training all the time and then jump to the green for a rest day, cheat day. That's why I'm sustainable for, for a long time, not just while I'm trying to build to a certain number. And do you think when you do reach that number, you'll be living in the green zone every day? Or do you think it's so ingrained that you'll probably still keep a lot of those yellow zone tactics that you use today? I will have to sort of go to rehab and probably learn to enjoy myself. So I think it's a lot about giving value to what you want and appreciating what you get. So when you live in the yellow zone, all those green zone things are great. So once I'm older, I won't be living in the green zone with a lot of waste. Because the green zone is your values as opposed to just like spending money on whatever being the green zone. Yeah. And it's going to make it that much richer and that much more enjoyable that I, I know how I used to live, where I was a lot of sacrifice. And now I get to enjoy those things that I used to sacrifice. It's a really beautiful way of looking at it. And I think we should all probably consider what our own personal yellow zone is. And actually to continue on your gym analogy, maybe it's a good way of doing it because as you go to the gym, you get stronger. And so the weight you're lifting gets harder. So the yellow zone, what you're able to tolerate or live without gets easier. You know, you go from maybe having Uber Eats five times a week to once a week, and that doesn't feel as much of a sacrifice if you do it slowly and incrementally and start getting comfortable with it. So I love that perspective on building wealth and building discipline in, in our spending. If you were starting today again at 20, would you do anything differently? I don't think I would in my past wise, because I guess I really appreciate my life so far, but I just wish I had the wisdom of what really matters to me, the skills of being mindful as I go through life. And there's the obvious ones, you know, like if I was born again, I'd buy Bitcoin when it was zero, 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 zero cents. That's like everyone's now saying, because we both live in Sydney, everyone's saying, well, if I had known that I should have been buying property in year nine, I'd be a multimillionaire now. <laughs> it's always a dream. Like so you just like, as you go to bed, oh, if I did travel back in time, I'd definitely buy those things. Even just like one Bitcoin would be enough. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Keon. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And to all our listeners, we hope you find your yellow zone because what richness we can find. Thank you for joining us on Big Swinging Stocks and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789, the general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.